Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray once again. God, as we come to your word, we humbly ask that you would open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in it, that you would give us soft hearts that long to receive Jesus, ears to hear the good news, and that you would indeed give us faith, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The things that stick out in our memories most are often the things that are the most extraordinary. No doubt you've experienced at least a few extraordinary, out-of-the-norm things in your life. Maybe it's been on a family vacation where you went up to the mountains and on a hike through the mountains you stop at a vista that takes your breath away and you turn to your family with you and say, isn't this extraordinary? Or maybe it's been at a concert or a theater performance that both left you weeping with tears but also full of joy. And at the curtain call, you turn to the person next to you and you say, isn't that just an extraordinary performance? Or maybe it's holding a newborn baby in your hands and looking at the little fingers and its little toes and feeling its little heartbeat and holding that miracle of life in your hands and you whisper to yourself, isn't this extraordinary? Extraordinary things don't happen all too often, but when they do, we take notice. I wonder what some of the extraordinary things you've experienced in your life are. 
In this miracle story from Luke's gospel, we encounter something extraordinary. That's how the people who were there described it. Verse 26, they say, we have seen extraordinary things today. Something incredible happens. But it's not what at first meets the eye. It might not be what you first think. But what happens truly is extraordinary. The story that we're looking at is Luke's account of the story of the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof of a house to the feet of Jesus. It's an important story in Luke's gospel, and it's a memorable, memorable one as well, because it includes all sorts of the elements of a great story. It has an unusual scene. You get a man lowered through a roof on a stretcher to a crowded house. You have the drama of the Pharisees and scribes who had come from all over to investigate Jesus, sitting there, watching, checking up on Jesus. And of course, we get a miraculous healing. But Luke didn't include this story in his gospel account simply to share a good story or to wow the crowd with something amazing. He included this story, and in fact, he he wrote the whole narrative of Jesus' life and ministry for the purpose of inspiring certainty. He writes it at the beginning of chapter one of his gospel, and he's writing to a man, the most excellent Theophilus, but this being scripture, he's, he's writing to us as well, that we might have certainty concerning the things we've been taught. And so this story about an extraordinary experience is meant to give us certainty. But about what? As we'll see, the central focus of this story is the forgiveness of sins. That you can put your faith in Jesus to find forgiveness. This is what Luke wants us to know, to be certain about. Put your faith in Jesus to find forgiveness. And so as we move through this story, we'll encounter several things. We encounter faith, we encounter forgiveness, and we're left with a response. So first, faith. We enter into the scene of an electrically charged environment. Jesus is teaching in a packed house, standing room only. All sorts of people are wanting to hear him speak. There's even Pharisees and teachers of the law there. In fact, these men had come from all over the surrounding communities and even from Jerusalem to investigate Jesus. This was a coalition to investigate him. His popularity was clear, but would they agree with his teaching? Or would they be in conflict with it? And what's more, Luke tells us that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. So the power of God was there. It was one of those moments where you can practically taste the electricity in the air, like at the Super Bowl right before kickoff with the anticipation building. Or one of those moments where the performers walk on stage, the lights grow dim, and a hush comes over the crowd. And you know something's about to happen. 
And it's in this electrically charged environment where the power of God is present that we encounter faith. We're introduced to a group of men who bring a friend of theirs, a paralyzed man, to see Jesus. No doubt these men had heard about the miraculous healings that Jesus had done around the area. Maybe they'd even seen them. We read about some of those in the verses and chapter before this passage. And so these friends had no doubt heard about Jesus and they thought, we have to get our friend to Jesus. Jesus can help him. Jesus can heal him. They believed Jesus could do something about it. And so they brought their friend to Jesus to be healed. But of course they ran into a challenge, didn't they? An obstacle because the house that Jesus was teaching in was completely jam-packed. No room to get in. So many people wanting to hear Jesus teach. They weren't going to be stopped by that. The roofs of the day would have been flat, used as additional living or working space in the home, and they usually, almost always, had some sort of external ladder or stairway to get up to the roof, to access it. And so these friends, convinced that Jesus was the one who could help their friend, they persevered. They carried him up onto the roof. Imagine that process. A man lying on a stretcher who can't walk, carrying him up a narrow, steep set of stairs. And once they got there, they they took apart the, the mortar and bits and pieces of the roof. Imagine that. Making a hole big enough for a stretcher. And they lowered their friend with ropes tied to the corners through the hole that they'd made. Imagine the scene. The man lowered into the presence of Jesus himself. Think of it. These friends, dirty, dusty, sweaty, sore, probably on all fours, peering over the edge of the hole they'd made into the packed house with the people looking up at them, then looking at the paralyzed man, then looking at Jesus, hearts pounding with anticipation because these friends had done all they could. They believed that Jesus could help their friend. And verse 20 tells us that Jesus looked at that and he saw their faith. Faith is, simply put, trust, belief, faith. And that's how the power of God is encountered. The power of God is received through faith. And Jesus saw their faith. It sure does seem that the paralyzed man probably also had faith. In just a moment, his sins are going to be forgiven. But that doesn't seem to be the focus here. Luke has a focus on the faith of the friends, their faith. That bringing their friend to encounter Jesus would change him and completely reverse his, his situation, would change his life. It was their faith in action. Do we have this kind of faith? 
Are we utterly convinced that Jesus is the one who can and will bring healing and change in the lives of our family, friends, and neighbors? Our city, our country, our world needs the healing power of Jesus. And faith? Faith believes. Faith acts. Faith doesn't give up. Faith is willing to go to extraordinary measures to bring people to the feet of Jesus. Faith believes that Jesus has that healing power that our city, our country, our world needs. And so faith, so to speak, climbs up onto the roof, opens a hole, and lowers its friend to the feet of Jesus so that they may discover him. It does all it can. Do we have that kind of faith? It might mean inviting a friend to church to meet you here on a Sunday morning, maybe even Easter Sunday, to hear the gospel and encounter Jesus. It may mean starting a neighborhood Bible study. I've heard a number of stories of people who have come to know Jesus because a friend invited them to a Bible study among neighbors. Of course it means praying. Praying, praying for the lost in our lives. How many times do we hear a testimony where behind the scenes is a faithful prayer warrior? Or it could even mean asking a coworker or a friend to read the Bible with you. So many people encounter Jesus for the first time simply by reading the Bible. What could your faith in action look like? First thing we encounter in the story is faith, but then we encounter forgiveness. Because Jesus saw their faith, and then he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Imagine the ripple that would have gone through the crowd. What did he just say? Did he just say what I think he just said? Did he just forgive his sins? How can that be? Think of it. Here's a man who's paralyzed. He can't walk. And because of that paralysis, he would have been pushed to the margins of society, excluded from many of the normal patterns of life. And this man, because of the extraordinary faith of his friends, had been brought up to a roof, lowered through a hole in that roof to the very feet of Jesus, because those friends believed that Jesus could physically heal him, and that he would be healed because of that. And Jesus looks at him when the power of God is with him to heal, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Luke is making it crystal clear that this is the real healing moment. This is the true miracle of the story. Because though this man couldn't walk, he had a much greater paralysis. He needed healing for his soul. His greatest sickness was his sin. And the same is true for you and for me. Our greatest need 
is the forgiveness of our sins. This is not to minimize the the other needs that we have, finances, physical health, mental health, relationships, the list could go on. No, this is not to minimize those needs, but to appropriately realize the reality of our sin. Because the Bible's clear. Every one of us has willingly disobeyed God. It says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that because of this disobedience, every one of us will die spiritually and eternally. For the wages of sin is death. We know no one's exempt. There is no one righteous. No, not one. Separated from the God who made us. Deserving of eternal punishment and unable to help ourselves. Just as the greatest need of a drowning man is to be pulled up out of the water before he receives a cast for his broken arm, so we as well, above all else, we need to be pulled from the depths of our sin. And Jesus sees that need and he meets it. Your sins are forgiven. Maybe at one level in this story, it seems like not much has happened. The man's still paralyzed. He still can't walk. And at one level, it might have felt like all of the air was let out of a balloon. But in another sense, in another level, it was like a bomb had gone off because the scribes and the Pharisees were sitting there listening. And when they heard the man, that Jesus had forgiven the man's sins, they recognized the explosive claim that Jesus had just made. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They immediately see, and rightly so, That by forgiving the man's sins, Jesus was claiming to be God. I can forgive sin when it's done against me. And as a Christian, I, I should because forgiven people forgive. But if somebody sins against another person, I cannot forgive that. Because only God can do that. Because all sin is ultimately against God. So God is the one who can truly forgive it. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they they saw this immediately. They knew the law inside out. They knew from Leviticus 24 that God commanded that anyone guilty of blasphemy, that claiming to be God, that anyone guilty of blasphemy should be put to death by stoning. They knew their theology. And here in the house, with Jesus' teaching, seeing him forgive the paralyzed man, they, in a sense, got it right. At least kind of. Because they were right that only God can forgive sins, but they were wrong in that they missed that the very God who can forgive sins was standing right in front of them. It's entirely possible to know all the right answers, but to miss the point entirely. It's one thing to know about Jesus. It's a very different thing to know him personally. 
My wife and I have recently been doing a small home project. We've been putting in a tile floor in the entryway of our, of our house. And so I've learned a lot of things about tile recently. And the first thing is I've learned a great respect for people who professionally install tile. But I've learned a lot of other things as well about tiles themselves and mortar and grout and all the tools and those kind of things. I've read a lot of instructions and I've watched a lot of YouTube to learn all of the things that I need to know in order to get the job done really well. Maybe at this point, just done would be good enough. But something I've also been reminded of is there's a big difference between knowing about something with the facts and knowing something by experience. Because at a certain point, I have to take the facts that I've learned about tile and actually put the tile on the floor. Knowing about something is one thing. Knowing by experience is a whole other thing. And what a difference that is. There's a big difference between knowing about something and truly knowing something. The orphan may know a lot about a father, but how much more does the son know? There's a big difference between knowing about Jesus and truly knowing Jesus. Do you know Jesus? I don't mean just knowing about him. I I mean knowing him personally. To know Jesus personally is to take all of the things that you know about him, everything the Bible teaches about who Jesus is and what he's done, everything that you know, and to trust it by faith. And it's through that faith that you can indeed receive God's power to forgive Put your faith in Jesus to find forgiveness. And of course, as we find in the climactic moment of the story, Jesus does have the power to heal, even to heal the soul by forgiving sins. He has that power, and he also has the authority. And this is, in fact, the whole purpose of healing the man's body. It's in response to the questions that the Pharisees and the scribes pose that Jesus answers with a rhetorical question. Which is easier to say, he says, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? In one sense, it may be easier for someone to say that a man's sins are forgiven since that can't be externally verified. You can't just look at a person and see if their sins are forgiven, whereas if you tell someone to rise and walk, they either can or can't walk. But what seems to be stressed here is not the relative difficulty of each of these questions, but rather their equality. Both forgiving sins and healing in an instant a paralyzed man are the work of God and God alone. No mere man can forgive another's sin. No mere man can in an instant make a man who can't walk to rise. Both are the work of God. If Jesus can do one, surely he can do the other. If he really can make the lame man walk, surely his forgiveness is real as well. It's a proof of his authority. 
And this is precisely what Jesus demonstrates. Because to the Pharisees, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he turns to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he got up. Jesus proves his authority that he can indeed forgive sins. He's demonstrating his unique singularity. There is no one like Jesus. That's why he uses the title Son of Man to describe himself. It's the first of 25 times in the book of Luke that it's used. And this term refers back to the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 7, where in a vision we see, in a, we, we, uh, see a figure, a human-like figure, the Son of Man, who is also shown to have an exalted divine status, God and man. And this is what Jesus rightly claims he is, God In the flesh, the Son of Man, there's no one else like him. No one else who is human and divine. No one else who has this kind of power and authority yet looks us in the eyes face to face and knows our pain and our fears and our doubts and our troubles and has compassion on us. And though he knows our sin, he still chooses to draw near to us. What confidence this should give us, friends. The one who knows the pains and troubles of a life here on earth knows your pains and your troubles and your fears and your doubts and your flaws and your failures. He is compassionate, yet he is strong to save And if you've trusted in Jesus by faith, then you can know that your sins are forgiven. There's no question about it. The power is with Jesus to heal, and he has the authority to forgive. He says it, and it is. That's Jesus. Christian, are you here this morning wondering if you're truly forgiven? Are you here today being weighed down by guilt and shame? Are you here this morning and and holding on in the corner of your heart this belief that maybe, just maybe, you've screwed up too much this time and Jesus can't forgive? Look no further than Jesus. He has the power and he has the authority to forgive. His authority on earth began when he came into the world as a baby and became like us in every respect, yet was without sin. This authority was proven as he lived a perfect, sinless life. And this authority shone forth from the cross as he died in our place and became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this authority was declared in the resurrection when the stone was rolled away and he rose out of the grave and defeated the power of sin and death. And this authority lives for us today because Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us, 
pleading the merit of his blood, Christian, you can know that your sins are forgiven in Jesus. You can indeed put your faith in Jesus to find forgiveness. Faith and forgiveness. And it leads us to a response, does it not? And there are two different responses in this passage. There's the Pharisees and the people. We've already looked at the Pharisees. They question, they grumble, they disbelieve. And yes, they know the right answers. Yes, they were there and saw what had happened that day. They questioned, though. They grumbled. They didn't believe. They didn't have faith. But then on the other hand, there's the man and the crowds. They don't question. They don't grumble. They glorify. It says that the man rose up before them and picked up what he'd been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. That is the right response, isn't it? To see the extraordinary nature of forgiveness and to give praise to God for it. To see God work in your life and not claim the honor for yourself, but to give God the glory. Two responses. What about you? What will your response be? Will you be like the Pharisees or the people? Will you question Jesus or celebrate him? Grumble or glorify? Put your faith in Jesus that he can forgive? The story goes that a farmer had a sheep and a pig who escaped. They'd found a weak part of the fence and broke it open and quickly bolted from the pen. After a while, of course, the farmer noticed that his sheep and his pig had escaped and went out to find them, but the animals had wandered far away and hadn't left much of a trail behind them, so as daylight faded and turned into night, the farmer had to resume his search in the morning. It was only after some time searching that second day that in the distance he heard bleating, his sheep crying out for him. So the farmer followed the sound of that bleating and he found it until it led to a nearby bog and it was there that he found his missing sheep and his missing pig who'd fallen into a ditch and were coated in muck and mire and stuck so that they could not get out themselves. And the farmer knelt down and reached out his hands to save them and pull them out. The pig, the pig was content to wallow in the mud. But the sheep, the sheep had believed that the farmer would come 
and he allowed the farmer to rescue it. And he pulled it out of the muck and the mire, and he washed it white as snow and brought it home to much rejoicing. To be forgiven of your sins is a truly extraordinary thing. And would you this morning put your faith in Jesus to find forgiveness and to give glory to God for his extraordinary gift. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you humbled in recognition of our sin, but also filled with confidence that Jesus can and does forgive. And would you give us faith to believe that Jesus does indeed forgive our sin? And would you help us to have the response of giving you glory? We pray that you would indeed do those things in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.